0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Seek Go Create. This is your host, Tim Winders. We have a great conversation today on business and uh, success in business. And uh, just finished reading the book. This is an author that we've got that is a great book that I recommend for business people and leaders. We'll talk more about that as we get started, but welcome. Before we get into introducing the guest, I want to remind you, and this is going to be a great episode for this. We have extensive show notes, episode notes on our website at seekgocreate.com. So much so that if you're listening to this in your car or vehicle going down the road and you hear something and say, I need to go back to that section because I want to take notes or listen to it again, you can go to seekgocreate. Dot com click on the episode notes and you can actually go to that topic we have it outlined out and it'll have a timestamp behind it and you could click on it and it will take you to the audio of the episode at that time. So you may wanna listen to the whole thing again, but you can actually go specifically to that section. I am so excited about what we've got now on our website with all of those show notes. So make sure you check that out, especially for an episode where we're gonna be talking some details like this one today. Today we have Sean Burcham and he is a CEO, a speaker, an author, like I said, I just finished reading his book, founder of PFS Brands and Grit business coaching, so many other things. He's got an incredible bio, but Sean, welcome to SeatGo Go Create.
1: Thank you, Tim. Glad to be here and looking forward to the conversation.
0: Yeah, and we talked right before we hit record. You're coming to us from the middle of Missouri, right? The cultural center of the universe right <laughs> here in Summit, Missouri, so uh, right outside of the state capital of Jefferson City. The cultural center <laughs> of the universe. You stated that with so much Factual emphasis to it, I don't even think we could argue with that, right? Well, that's true. I pro- probably don't need to argue with that because I don't
1: have a lot of data or facts to, to, to back that up. But uh, yeah. we like to say that uh, it, it is kind of uh, the heartland of America right here in uh, the central part of the country.
0: Yeah, I've, I've actually never heard that. So you kind of surprised me a little bit with that. I'm actually just outside of Rapid City, South Dakota right now. And then last night I went to a rodeo, which it wasn't my first rodeo. It was actually my second rodeo that I've ever been to. I grew up in Atlanta and all of that. But But I'll tell you that some people there would probably argue that they are the cultural center of the United States. So so there could be a little bit of battle going on there, but we we won't get into that. Everybody's got their own little bias. Yeah, I tell you what, they feel pretty strongly there that they've got a lot. And they do, man. It's a great part of the country, just like a lot of places are. But listen, I'm getting off track. My first question I want to ask you, and, and this is one that I just like to get the ball rolling with is I'm pretending, and, and this is kind of accurate because we've never met, we've, uh, I've done a lot of research and, and studied you, but uh, if we just meet and someone asks you what you do, what do you typically tell people?
1: If it's a business setting, I like to tell them what we do in business. But if you if you ask me what I do, I just love creating opportunities and helping people get better. Uh, So just creating that opportunity and then and then helping them along. What we do as a company is we put branded food programs inside supermarkets and convenience stores. So we're a franchisor. So think of putting a very high quality chicken, Mexican or or pizza program inside a supermarket and convenience store. That's how we built our business over the last 24 years. It sounds simple, but at the end of the day, we like to say that we're uh, we're definitely a company that revolves around people, not necessarily focused on what we do, but we really focus on people and uh, helping people be more successful.
0: Yeah, I like that you kind of brought up that it kind of depends on the audience. I think sometimes I'll ask that question. It's almost always my first question. But I do agree. It, it depends on if you're in a business setting or with, we'll call it civilians. And, uh, and I'm actually going to ask a little bit of a deeper answer to what you said that you like to create opportunities. Because I, I kind of get the impression from kind of reading and studying and, and, and seeing what all that you do that you did end up in, in, a, in a food type industry. We'll talk more about that in a little while but it's almost as if I always do this when I'm kind of preparing to talk to someone, I always kind of imagine what if they had gone a different path. And uh, have you ever put any thought to if you had, you know, that first job you had out of college, we'll talk more about that a little while, but had you gone down a path of, I don't know, finance or, or, or anything like that? What, what, what would be an alternative universe for Sean?
1: Oh my gosh, you said finance. I might've been fired if I went down the <sighs> finance path. Uh, or something. I think at the end of the day, my, my story really is that I grew up in a, in, a, in a family with a father that dedicated his life to, to helping abused and neglected kids, but always did stuff on the side to make money, uh, just extra income for the family. My, my mom was a stay-at-home mom, so uh, dad and, and I, as I got older, we were just out doing odd jobs trying to make an extra buck here and there. Uh, I got the entrepreneurial bug as a kid, never really focused on that much in college, Uh, But I got the opportunity to work for a a Fortune 500 company right out of college. And after that, went to work for a very small company, an entrepreneur that did about three million dollars a year. I saw both sides of the spectrum, the big corporate life, the small company life. Uh, And ultimately, I just figured out I wasn't cut. I just was not cut out to work for other people. Uh, Some people are like that. Obviously, you hear a lot of founders talk about that. Just It wasn't that I was not able to be coached or or was not coachable, just, man, I wanted to pay my own way. I wanted to make something for myself and, and be my own boss. And that was just a desire that I got after college for whatever reason. And, uh, and and I think a lot of that had to do with the, the I met my wife and the family ultimately married into, uh, was an entrepreneurial family as well. And I, I just, I just love success stories where most people may get jealous of other people. There's nothing better for me than to see successful people. There's no jealousy involved with that. I think it's pretty cool to see other people excel, especially those that, that do something from nothing, so.
0: Yeah, one of the things we do here, Sean, and we're, we, we lean into it pretty heavily, is that we kind of have this underlying theme of redefining success. And so you brought up that word success, so I wanna I wanna go down that path just a little bit more. And and just go ahead and ask when when you bring up the word success and you say you enjoy seeing people that are successful and and seeing people succeed, how do you define that word? Well, it's
1: different for everybody, and that, that's that's the reality. You have to sit down and talk to people and what is success for them. I mean, in our company, and I'm sure we'll get into this, but we sit down with every single individual and in every company that we have every 90 days, and we ask that question: What is success for you? Uh, and and there is no right or wrong answer to that uh, it, it it really is dependent upon each individual when i think of success i i tend to lean more toward entrepreneurs and 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 that type of success and even success through the corporate ladder but at the end of the day you really have to sit down with each individual and find out what it means to them
0: yeah, yeah and so many people they'll uh, uh, you, you know i think early on we attach money to success and it's definitely a part of it. But but yet, if it's just money, there's kind of a shallowness is kind of what I found. And so uh, you, you brought up something earlier, I want to kind of circle back to it. you kind of brought up uh, a bit of how you were raised. And then you met your wife, I think her name was Julie and and, and her family and, and they were entrepreneurial. And I think in your book, you talk about uh, your family, your your parents did a few things outside, but it seems as if you were kind of, you kind of had this work ethic and I just chuckle every time I'm reading and studying up on some of our guests and I find out that they did grass cutting (laughs) because (laughs) I don't know why, but there seems to be this common theme and maybe years ago it would have been newspaper, you know, they delivered newspapers, but there's this thing where people just, cut grass it and then they lead into something later and tell me a little bit about uh you know sean growing up I, it sounds as if your parents were hard working and probably the part of the world the, the, you know the cultural center of the universe that you that you live in there <laughs> I, I just up i just upped it i was about to say the cultural mecca but that was that was a little bit too oh, much. oh i'll use that but next um, time i'll use mecca next time Yeah. Tell me about, I mean, mean, part of it's geography, you know, where people grow up, but part of it's just the household you're in and some of the mindset and and things like that. Tell me a little bit about that, because I think it's going to feed into some of the things we talk about later.
1: Yeah. My mom, uh, well, I I mentioned she was a stay at home mom, but uh, extremely hardworking. Her parents were hardworking. Work work ethic is just it's what our family does. I've actually got a, a sign right outside my door. Lost my dad a few years ago uh unfortunately but was also fortunate to have him for 49 years is what i consider my best coach and mentor and my hero uh and be- feel very fortunate to grow up with in a loving family and I, i've got all kinds of stories from other people i know that didn't have that luxury if you will and, and that opportunity and and we're still able to make things of themselves but i say all that to say my the the sign outside my door was uh I can remember going to a baseball practice at eight years old and showing up at the baseball field before everybody else and uh, asking dad why we're here so early and uh, a comment he made was hey you show up earlier than everybody else you stay later than everybody else and you work harder and smarter than everybody else and and you'll see success and uh, things will just happen for you and uh, another saying he liked to say and you see this a lot out there today but you know the harder I work the luckier I get all those types of things just his way of sharing, uh, work hard, play hard, uh, success comes to you. So that family environment, uh, you, you talked about mowing lawns at 14. My dad, just a business lesson had, we had a riding lawnmower that we used for our house and I had to pay him a lease, uh, for the equipment to go out and hustle and get some other businesses and and mow lawns and had a, had a partner, a good friend of mine that, uh, we both just went out. We had business cards. We knocked on doors and, uh, we made some good money mowing lawns, but also got a good business lesson uh, along the way. So uh, the, those types of things, uh, taking chances and, and working harder and, and working different hours than everybody else. And hey, if you got one job, it's okay if you got a second job because you might have to hustle a little bit to get ahead and you know spend some money to, to make some money.
0: Yeah, the, the, so I'm gonna skip ahead a little bit and and then we're gonna fill in some gaps along the way, but. I, so there was work ethic there, but then there was something that kind of floored me a little bit when I was reading uh, reading your book, uh, Grit, that we'll uh, talk about here in just a moment, and that was that up until the age of 40, you did not consider yourself a reader, and and I was just, I was a little bit taken back. Talk a little bit more about that. Why do you think that was? and then talk a little bit about the trigger that kind of got you started. And now it seems like you're a pretty voracious reader that you do that. But so you had work ethic, but you weren't really digging into a, a reading a book's habit, correct?
1: That's, that's correct. I read a lot of publications and trade magazines, and I, I was, I was up on, on business and, and trade things, but I never was a cover to cover book reader. That really goes all the way back to childhood, Tim. Most people don't realize that I grew up with a hearing problem until I was eight years old. I only had 50% of my hearing, and it wasn't discovered until I was eight. I put uh, you, you may remember uh, having to do a hearing test. They put the headphones on you went out to a trailer, and uh, the lady goes, hey, just raise your right hand when you hear something. I never raised my hand, so uh, they discovered I had a hearing problem, very simple problem, just needed tubes. At that time, it was not as common as it is today, uh, but at that created me to have a speech problem growing up. So I couldn't talk very well. I became very introverted and and I loved athletics. So I spent my time playing outside, whatever I could do, whether it's basketball, baseball, football, uh, basically things that you could do. You didn't have to talk to people very much. Uh, in the eighth grade, we had a very strict teacher in our language session. I didn't like to talk in front of people, number one. And she said, uh, we're going to read some books this year and we're going to talk about them. So you need to read the books. So I read the old man in the sea and where the red fern grows. And in, uh, until I was 40, that was the only two books I read. Uh, and how I got through high school and college, I just did not like reading, writing. I wasn't good at either one of them. Uh, ultimately, I got very good at at writing in particular as, as I got into business. And I really focused on it. I, I read books, uh, not books, but I had books that helped me write better letters. All that being said, fast forward to 40 years old, I hired a, a part-time CFO that, uh, long story short, got me into reading because he handed me books that I really enjoyed. Uh, and I think I even say in my book, uh, you know, something about the fact that, uh, you know, many people don't read because they just haven't read things that they enjoy. And I got obsessed mm-hmm. with business books and I, I figured out how, how, how much they can help me. Uh, and that did lead me on a path of uh, being obsessed with reading uh, from one side to the other and a big aha moment for me. and quite frankly, the biggest one of the biggest regrets I've got uh, going through the business world. I think I could have been a better leader uh, from twenty eight to forty if I would have made a conscious decision to to read and study some some good books on uh, different leadership tactics
0: yeah you you led into something I was about to ask, and it was just that. What do you think was a negative or uh, something that burdened you because of that reading? And so you believe there's things that, when when you started getting in the reading habit and and it seems as if you had a real hunger when you started that, would that be correct? I really did. I I think more than anything,
1: I I was in a pretty bad spot right there. Almost 40 years old, Our, our business is thriving on the top line. We're just not making any money. And I, I'm working 70, 80 hour plus weeks and just in a massive grind, in the weeds, in the business, working way too much in the business instead of on the business. That's a cliche term in the business world today, I know, but uh, I, I was really in a pretty tough spot. I, I was uh, I was down and out. Uh, and I, I that was the reason I called this part-time CFO. And we hit it off, still great friends today. He serves on our board and, uh, man, I just, uh, the first couple books I read, is just aha moments. And you grow up in an entrepreneurial family. You go down this entrepreneurial path. We started this business in our garage, had no idea we'd be at this time, 24 million now, now well over a hundred million, uh, no vision of that whatsoever. I thought, man, we'd be a small company and I can create my own path and create a good, a good, uh, life for my family. I had no vision of of where we were even in 2011. So the mm. aha moment was, man, I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> you know, I, I, I started this business so I didn't have to work 70, 80, 90 hour weeks uh, while I enjoy it. Uh, it I was I was at a point where I was just all stressed out. Mm. So the aha, the light bulb moment for me was to focus on the business, focus on our people more, educate them because I was fortunate to grow up in this entrepreneurial type family. I lived in that environment and I was naive to the fact that nobody really understands it. We live in a financially illiterate country, uh, and and I'm really passionate about teaching people about finances, not just in the workplace, but but things that can help them at home. So, it it was really at age 40 that that shift for me was when I found my purpose. it, it was it was more than just changing the business; it changed me personally, and I, re- I recognized that I wasn't that much different than my father and the fact I loved helping people. I just didn't have the patience that he had to take a abused and neglected child where you don't get very many wins. I did mine and my passion revolves around taking people more from good to great. Uh, You know, he, he was on the lower spectrum. I'm probably on the higher spectrum. That's where, that's where I get my most joy and I love creating those opportunities and seeing those people uh, get better.
0: Yeah. And I mean, and, one could even i mean it sounds like your father was in uh, what would be considered a more of a ministry setting because of the children and things like that but i i say this all the time and we really bring this into our podcast conversation that that the business world is as much of a ministry setting as anything else and and when you help someone go from point a to point you know c d e f I, i think there's a beautiful thing there and so so I, I'm excited to hear that. Well, what's interesting to me is I heard you talking was that you had such a strong work ethic. And, and it wasn't as if you weren't reading, but but it got you to a certain place. And it's interesting you have that 40-year-old uh, time frame there. And and that you had successful business from the outside looking in. We talked about success earlier. but, But yet... You know, you looked on the bottom line and it just didn't exist because, uh, uh, and I mean, do, where do you think, can you even project where the business would have gone had you not made those adjustments, those changed changes, called up, you know, that uh, that CFO person and they said, hey, what are you reading? No, it's really hard to
1: imagine where, where we would be at. Uh, uh, I don't, I obviously am 100% confident we would not be where we are today, 100%. There's no way we could have gotten here unless my mind shifted the way it did. Uh, I have no idea where we would have been. I'm not one to look back. You probably uh, recognize that from reading my book. Uh, so I, I don't look back that often and, and think about that, but I, I am grateful for, for that particular time and place and what happened to me and, and how that changed, uh, not just our business, but me as an individual.
0: Yeah, I, I love the coolness of now that you, you, you went through a season where you didn't read. Obviously, you became what, what, what I consider a voracious reader, and it had such a huge impact. Now you have a book that we'll talk about here in just a moment that, uh, that brings value to the marketplace. But, but before we do that, I want to kind of go, I want to fill people in on kind of the, the business development that occurred uh you mentioned earlier and i'll let people kind of go check this out in your book because you do also tell the story of your business journey and i love business journey stories because you learn a lot from people about where they went from here to here to here i'm very similar to you when i came out of school out of college my first job was corporate i'd had a business when i was uh, in college And I knew within just a matter of days, I was not cut out to work in a large corporation. (laughs) And I needed to start moving towards having my own thing. It took a few years to do that, but I knew pretty quickly. So, so, you know, we kind of go through those stages and all that, but go through, I'd love for, I'd love for you to talk about the formation of your company in the late nineties and kind of what you guys did. And let's go ahead and fill people in with the type of company it was then. And then we'll talk in a little bit about the type of company it is now. And I want to go ahead and let people know that uh, the, the people that are my listeners know I'm an RV. I'm sitting in the passenger seat of an RV. And right now they are cutting grass of all things. How ironic this is. There's big lawnmowers that are circling my RV. So it might pick up on my mic. We'll try to see if we could take care of that. But anyway, you might hear a little hum in the background. That's the big lawnmower. So, but talk a little bit about the formation of, uh, of your companies.
1: Yeah, I'll go back to 1998. We actually were incorporated July 13, 1998. I was still working for the small company at that point. I was selling branded chicken programs into supermarkets and convenience stores for another small business uh, owner. Uh, I s- actually started in the coffee cappuccino business with a push-button coffee machine that you could take in when ground beans and uh, that type of stuff were just beginning to get popular in restaurants and uh, it had a counter on it. and It was stuff that I could do part time after hours. Again, going back to my work ethic, it didn't affect my normal job. And uh, we uh, we just did that after hours and on the weekends. And it was, it was decent money, but it wasn't great. Uh, that led into uh, just being in a position within that small company where it just wasn't a good cultural fit for me. I, I was definitely in a space where I was looking to do anything I could on my own looked at all kinds of different things and ultimately ran into and stumbled into an opportunity with an equipment company that sells fryers and hot cases that we needed to create our own chicken program Uh, and had no intentions of going out and competing with my existing boss. This opportunity did just kind of fall in with this equipment company. And I thought, man, I could do this better. I can build a better mousetrap. And I think I can ultimately treat people differently. I've learned some things in the big corporation as well as in a small corporation so we took the leap, my wife and I, uh, she had quit her job about nine months earlier after we had had our first kid because we had decided she wanted to be a stay at home mom, uh, much like we were raised in both of our families. And uh, I decided to just quit my job cold turkey. So we went from a double income, no kid family to a one kid, no income family, literally within that year's time frame. So we did, we got that garage story, we got that garage story st- uh, that started out of a garage, much like many founders. And I started selling chicken breading and boxes and shortening out of my garage. And, you know, we we did it all out of there. It was uh, just going out and hustling and finding accounts, delivering, purchasing, selling, uh, running the books. Small bootstrap company that's never taken any private equity and proud to not have to have, uh, have done that. I mean, we, we went back to the bank for loans every year, but... Uh, that was because of accounts receivable, inventory grow, and our sales have grown every year in our 24 years uh, in business, and we're fortunate to have that residual business model. So that's kind of the ground roots there of of how we got started. And uh, people ask me today, would you go back and do it all over again? I can't imagine starting it today, but at the same time, I would encourage somebody that has all the, all the fire and ambition and, and actually support and invest in, some different people that do that today, and I just love that entrepreneurial spirit and drive, and uh, those types of that type of mentality, and work ethic and drive can get you through a lot of obstacles when when you have that can-do attitude.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting, Sean, you brought up something else that I hear all the time. I hear people that cut grass and people that start something out of a garage. In fact, just last week I had an interview with someone, I mean, they're, part of their story is started it out of a garage and uh, so fascinating how, how, how we have such common themes along the way. I think one of the things that would be really helpful here is because I know where we're going with the way the company developed is talk a little bit about because y'all at some point went from a licensing model and then you went to more of a franchise and and i don't think i fully understood because you brought up in the book the the chester's chicken and then i know that i know that now y'all's brand that you have is the champs but but you were talking about that and i've seen these in grocery stores and things like that but I don't, I guess I always kind of assumed, and I, and I study business models. I mean, I'm a, I'm a guy that loves to study business models. I don't know that I fully understood the way that licensing versus franchising and versus when a company just fully owns a product, how that works. Talk a little about that and just compare the differences between them so that we have a, a general understanding
1: i'll try to give you the forty thousand foot view without getting into the weeds because the franchising and licensing can get complicated from a legal perspective yeah. so from a very high level we had built champs into a brand that we in 2014 let me go back to 99 to 14 it was a license program in other words you just sign a very simple two three page license agreement you agree to certain things you're going to buy these products and you're going to, we're going to allow you to use the name. Uh, as we got stronger, our vision has always been that we want to bring a quick service restaurant or fast casual type program into supermarket and convenience stores and give them a, a program that is the same quality that somebody could go out to a QSR or fast casual. As we did that, our brand just kept getting stronger and stronger. And to, to build strong brands, you ultimately need more franchisor control. So that means control and, and who you put in the brand as well as just control about how they operate it. And not that I'm a control freak. Uh, in fact, I looked at a lot of franchises and didn't go the franchise route because of the restrictions that are placed upon the franchisees by the franchisor. The reason I say that is I think that makes me a very empathetic franchisor because I'm empathetic to the entrepreneurial drive of all of our franchisees and the fact that they're independent business people, but also understand that to build a strong brand, you need to have systems and processes and controls as you scale this thing across the country or across the world, whatever it might be. So the big reason for shifting from license to franchise is that we did have more control and we wanted to accelerate the brand and grow that brand into a brand that could ultimately stand on its own, which we're just getting ready to roll out this year some standalone options for Champ's Chicken and Blue Taco. So the vision for for me and what we found out was we wanted to create multiple paths for our retail operators to have and not be stuck with one particular brand that enables us as a company to not necessarily just have one thing to offer and we actually interview, instead of sell, we interview our franchisees or licensees to put them in the right path for their commitment level, their store, whatever that might be. So hopefully that helps. If you got a more detailed question, feel free to poke away on that. Yeah. Trying to kind of stay high level, that's the difference. We With every program we have, Mexican chicken and pizza, we have a franchise offering, we have a license offering. And the difference is the commitment level and, and the ultimate control and the restrictions that are placed upon the operators.
0: Yeah, and, and let's talk about that operator. You brought it up here, so I'll go ahead and go into it. I, I had this down as a question. And that is, you've mentioned, you talk about this in your book, you just mentioned it now that, you go through an interview process it's not just if somebody shows up and they've got the money for the franchise or the financial resources you go through the interview process can you give us a little glimpse into what that process looks like and what you're looking for what is the type person what is the do they have to do they have to have cut grass at some point in the <laughs>
1: No, that, that, might, that might actually limit our, uh, our customer base if we did that. But, I know. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, yeah, you know, it's a mix of does the store qualify? Does the person qualify? Does the site qualify? No, every, every franchisor has this. Uh, our, our model that's a business within a business, we do feel that we're a leader in this segment uh, because we're treating it more like a freestanding location. So the uh, think about it as interviewing an employee. Uh, and we have a very strict interview process for our employees as well. There's a great book out there, you've probably heard of it, but Top Grading, uh, one, one of the best books, if you want to up your game with hiring practices, read the book Top Grading. There's a lot of great tips in there. Uh, but we treat our franchisees similar to the way we treat our employees. Everything that you do in the franchise world, you're actually putting, and I say this very loosely, and I got quotation marks, you, you're, you're basically putting other employees on that are going to affect your brand. I mean, you're putting operators, they're not employees, but you're putting operators in your system that have the opportunity to influence your brand positively or negatively. So obviously with an employee or a franchisee, or even a, a, a retail licensee, you want to put people in your system that are ultimately going to be aligned uh, with the goal of growing the brand and growing their business and their profitability.
0: Yeah. And, and, and I think that's a great answer because I think it gives us, uh, you know, I don't think there's like one thing that's involved there. So it's very interesting to, you know, when I was just reading your book, you, you do a great job of going over like the business story, like I talked about and 2011 seems like a really key time for you personally. I mean, it's when you started doing reading books and also there was a growth trajectory and a change in your companies that, that occurred at that point. Go over just kind of briefly 2011 to I think 17 was when y'all went through the ESOP process or at least you finished it up. Um, what are some learning points that someone listening in that might be in a business that you could share with them and maybe some things you did right and some things that you didn't do right that you could share? Because I like we like to learn from things we messed up on too here.
1: Yeah, I think probably uh, one, one of the things I'd say I, I did wrong and I had a great part time CFO, but. I I was always a very growth oriented individual. The top line was, was the measurement of success, especially up till 2011. I didn't put enough resources to the infrastructure, uh, in particular accounting and and customer service and just the, the office type personnel personnel. top line was just way outpacing our, our support services basically. So, uh, that, that was a learning experience. The, the other aha moment in 2011 is just the financial literacy piece. Uh, the, the aha moment again, of growing up in an entrepreneurial family where you sit at the dinner table and you talk about business and the the aha moment is, Hey, everybody, you know, stupid, you know, not everybody had that experience. You you might have to teach them some, some things about business, and the more I researched that, the more I found out that man, it's not it's not a minority percentage of the population. It's a majority percentage of the population that have no clue what's going on in business. So the big learning experience is really focusing on sharing everything you can about the company. We happen to be a proponent of open book uh, leadership, which we've uh, trademarked the open book leadership now because we think there's a difference between management and leadership, uh, which is a little bit of a evolution from my book, even to give you an idea of the continuous learning process, but the open book process of, of just giving everybody knowledge of what's going on in the company. What are the goals? What's the, what is the strategic plan making them part of that process, Have, having uh, as many people as you can in the company, part of the process of creating the plan because people support what they help create. So you want to get them involved. You, you want them knowing what's going on in the company. Uh, the other big, uh, I, I think another big learning experience is as an avid goal-setter my entire life, I was immune to the fact that very few people are actually goal-setters. Uh, an, another major statistic, it's uh, of, of, of the people, of all the people in the country, about 17% set goals that's a pretty small number when you think about it. So in our company, there is no option. You have to set goals and, and creating that goal setting mentality. And again, going along with the core purpose of helping people be more successful in work and life, I've got tremendous stories one after the other that people say, hey, it didn't, even, didn't just help me in the business world, it actually helped me a lot in my personal life because I began to focus more on financials and also goal setting whether it revolved around financials or not. So those are just maybe three things along the way. Uh, I I will say too, especially in our company with our growth model, the private equity phone calls uh, that that we got and continue to get are just unbelievable. So just continuing to, to be pragmatic about growth and there's nothing wrong with growing extremely fast. If your goal is to grow extremely fast and sell, uh, that's one thing that wasn't that wasn't my goal. So, the pragmatic growth and just understanding the numbers and and keeping keeping control of those numbers and understanding where your cash is at, because cash is king. Uh, just another thing for business owners to to really focus on that cash and understand uh, where your cash is at and what your future cash flow needs are through forecasting and projections.
0: It's so interesting what you bring up. And I, you kind of talked about this right at the beginning of that explanation was that, and and I think it's something that most business businesses have, and I think it's baked into entrepreneurs, and that is we've got to grow. We've got to grow. And, and you even said it, you kind of confessed that it was that top line revenue. It was almost the... Um, I don't know. I just I got through reading Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament recently and and, uh, you know, talking about vanity and everything just kind of poofs. You know, if you and, and really it's kind of a vanity number, because if you're making a million, 10 million, 100 million, but yet the profit is zero and someone's making 500,000 and their profit is 300,000, which company's better, <laughs> you know? Right. Now, I'm not saying, I don't know any other details. I'm just making a for instance. And and so I, I do think that we need to dig down with a little more when we talk about growth. Now, you brought up a concept that I have heard, but I've never really studied a great deal, and, but you, you cover it. Uh, really well in the book, and you actually have said y'all have recently renamed it. You talk about open book management in the book, and, uh, and I think you said there's been a branding that you've done to open book leadership. Tell people what that is. And they could get the book and get into some more details of it. But because I think a lot of people that scare, a lot of leaders, a lot of managers, a lot of owners of companies, it would scare the heck out of them when all of a sudden they hear that they're going to open up their books and open up everything and just be an open book to everybody that works for them. That goes against the grain. So talk about that.
1: Yeah, I think the big thing, the perception, so so the we ask this question a lot both internally when we bring new people on and then externally through our Grit Business Coaching Company. Uh, Gallup has a poll out there. The, the average citizen in the United States' perception of business is that business owners or businesses in general, it doesn't have to be a business owner, businesses take home 36% of everything that comes through the till after taxes. So that is the perception through our financially illiterate country. There are very, very few businesses. In fact, if, if they're out there, I would love to invest in them. that can take home 36% after taxes. The, the, the real reality is that number before taxes is typically in that 5% range before taxes. And then they have no, no perception of what the tax impact really is. So I say all that to say that if if that's the perception out there in in the entire workforce and nobody is showing them the realization of what really happens in business their perception is their reality so it doesn't really matter how efficient they are because their perception is the owner's wheeling out cash every day in the wheelbarrow taking it home and that's i mean they just got all kinds of money and it's easy so we like to teach of the realities of the business world and how hard business really is Uh, and, and share the numbers. So open book, the misperception. So one thing with open book is the fear of showing the numbers. I always tell people that the reality of what they think is much worse than you showing them the reality of the numbers that you're really producing. They think you're taking home a lot more money than you actually are. So why not share with them the actual number? Number two, give them an opportunity to affect the number with some type of profit distribution. What happens when everybody wins? Why not share some of that? If they if they can improve efficiency, we should we should allow that to happen. So the you know those, those things, uh, those things impact it. And then let me finally say that open book management is not just sharing the numbers, because you can share all the numbers you want, and it means nothing to people because you're not really educating them on what the numbers mean and how they can impact and affect the numbers. So open book management, and now what we call open book leadership, just because we focus so much on being a leader versus a manager. Open book leadership is actually teaching financial literacy, income statements, balance sheets, cash flow statements, uh, what the numbers mean, assigning those numbers all the way through the company, making sure people own them, and also making them understand how they can affect those numbers and in particular the the ebitda or the cash flow of the company so the the again the big difference is and we shared a lot of information i wasn't complete quote open book i didn't share everything but even before 2011 i shared sales and 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 margins and and those types of things but i didn't teach anything about it so open book leadership is not showing open book leadership is teaching educating and then getting everybody rowing in the same direction and giving them line of sight to how they can affect those numbers.
0: Right, and you know it's so fascinating to me, the thing that kind of popped in my head as you were talking, Sean, was one of the things that happens, and and I don't know if this is media, I don't know if it's just a natural thing for people, is that our culture really does develop this us versus them mindset. And when there is this secretive, and especially business owners, capitalism, you know, a lot of these things have been getting uh, kind of bashed or a bad name. And I think it's because a lot of people just, they don't understand. I mean, you and I know this. If most people knew what a business owner went through, they would have a lot of compassion for what, I mean, there's a lot going on here. Right. And, uh, and so one of the things you're saying, I think it kind of breaks down the us versus them. And then, and then, which leads to a victim mindset of, well, you know, look, Sean, man, he's, he's flying his private jets and all that kind of stuff. And here I am. And, and it leads to so many issues within companies. So do you see that it solves a lot of those type issues and then I guess in the same breath, are there any other challenges we need to be aware of before we kind of move on to our next topic?
1: Yeah, I'll hit on that a little bit. And I, I, I've been fortunate, I think, to, to have thick skin my entire life, and maybe that was developed from from not being able to, to hear and talk and being made fun of uh, as a kid. I really do think that developed some grit and some toughness, and and not really caring what other people thought about me. Uh, so that that has developed that. So, but i'm on the other side of the spectrum i have i have zero compassion for those that that are jealous of success uh in fact i feel sorry for them because though they they have the opportunity to change themselves and i truly believe they can change that so we need i'm a firm believer you know this from reading my book i believe we need more capitalism i think we should celebrate capitalism i think we should encourage entrepreneurship uh the the, the reality of it is the world is becoming overcome with private equity, large companies, and that's great. I mean, we're becoming a medium-sized company, so I'm not going to bash large companies, but at the end of the day, we need to encourage this ground roots effort of people starting things, and, and our country needs to embrace that, and, and, and all the people in the country need to embrace that. That's what America is built on, the land of opportunity. We still have the biggest land of opportunity. We need to make sure that as a country we keep that culture and that, that that ability for anybody to go out there and do anything that they wanna do, all they have to do is dream it and go out there and work hard to achieve it. And that's what I like to encourage. So I don't think I really answered your question there. I might've got no, on, uh, on my own soapbox as it relates to capitalism. But I just think as, as a country, as individuals, uh, we these opportunities need to continue to be created.
0: Yeah, and I, I think that's good because it actually leads into the next thing. I've heard you bring up private equity at least twice, and, and neither time it was brought up in, in, an, in very much of a positive light, and I get it because I've dealt with some startups, I've dealt with businesses that have gone out, raised funds, had private equity, had ownership, and they had one goal and one goal in mind. It goes back to what we were talking about with growth, growth was all that mattered, they needed it to grow. And and I'm, it wasn't always a healthy growth, either. It was literally many times a top line growth type process. So, so you with your organization, at some point along the way, made the decision to do an ESOP employee stock ownership plan. And, and and the reason that is so intriguing to me right now is I'm actually a, a coach. I work with executive leadership teams and I'm, I'm working with a, with a business. It's an engineering company. And one of the first things they talked about was we would like to move towards doing an employee stock ownership plan. They're not quite the size yet, but I am gonna get in your book because that's gonna be good value for him because I just, like I said, just finished reading it. But I want you to talk about why the ESOP has value versus private equity. And you might can look at some other structures if you want to. And this is not going to be a teaching training on ESOPs. But I would like for it to be a high level mention for those people that have no concept of what it is. So talk a little bit about ESOPs, why you made that choice, and how it's working out for you at your organization.
1: Yeah, thanks. Uh, Appreciate that question. I'll I'll clarify that we are an ESOP. There are multiple different types of employee ownership. So there's different ways to, to create employee ownership. Uh, I will just say that we took, we chose the ESOP route. It's a very unique path that uh, we went from 0% employee owned to 100% employee owned. We we did what's called a 100% leveraged ESOP transaction. So, uh, the way that works, the employees do not have to pay for anything. They never have to pay for anything. Uh, the, the shares are, are given to the employees over time for their sweat equity, if you will. Uh, there, there are no catches. Uh, my wife, Julie, and I do not own any of the company. It is 100% employee owned. Uh, there, there's no ownership with us at this point. The driving factors with that are multiple things. There are some significant tax advantages to the ESOP. It's, it's basically a qualified retirement plan, very similar to a 401K. Uh, the, we're, we're not a tax exempt organization. The employees that earn the shares, no different than if they invested in the stock market, uh, they will pay tax on that money at some point when they get their shares, whether they leave the company or retire. They, they earn shares that they get vested in so that there are some tax advantages for a 100% S Corp owned ESOP in the fact that we can grow without paying those taxes because ultimately the employees that earn that money and cash in their shares will pay taxes. Now the private equity piece that I mentioned probably, uh, in, in a negative light, and I'm not here at all to bash private equity, uh, because, uh, Everybody's got their own opinion of what they want to do. So, uh, I personally have had other CEOs, other founders. uh, I know other people that have went down that route that have had some great cultures, uh, and their companies ended up going a completely different direction as soon as private equity gets involved. So, I had seen and heard and and read and studied, obviously through a lot of different things. Just the transition to that is everything that you built from a, a team oriented, culture oriented, open book leadership, all that stuff could potentially go away. So I wanted to send a message to our employees that, hey, hey we're not selling out to private equity. We're not going to pull this rug out from under you. And these jobs all all leave potentially. Uh, they leave our city potentially, they leave our state potentially, uh, depending on what happens there. So that's number one. But then number two, the, the real carrot is, hey, now you got a stake in the outcome of everything that you do you are now an owner and that's another whole educational process much like open book leadership you this just because they own something doesn't mean they know what it means we spend a lot of time educating existing and new employee owners what it actually means to be 100 percent employee owned and what it means for them to have ownership so with all the open book leadership we've created with the positive culture the esop for us was kind of the icing on the cake uh, I've got three daughters. I had no idea if our kids uh, were gonna get in the business. I still don't. Uh, with that being said, even though it's an ESOP, they've still got the opportunity to be involved in the business and to come into this business, be part of a great culture. Uh, and if they wanna go do their own thing, they can go do their own thing too. So uh, I wanted a good succession plan that we could have, whether it's family or not family, that, that, that this company and our brands that we've created uh, ultimately, become a legacy uh, that can be carried on for years, uh, even when I'm gone.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that was actually going to be my follow-up question: is what does? Uh, I'll I'll use the term exit versus secession plan, but what happens when Sean is no longer around? And we we know that. Listen, uh, you, you know, I could I know you're a young guy. I'm a young guy too, but we're mature. (laughs) And so at some point, I think we're not a good steward in business owner settings if we don't begin thinking about what happens next. And so uh, it's a great plan to me for someone to move into uh, the the plan you've got and there's a lot of legalities we're not going to get into that here that's something for another conversation that if anyone has interest but I do like that relative to the the private equity model because I've seen and Sean just my examples are very similar I've seen some people that I know very well that their character and demeanor changes as soon as not not even the culture of the company I'm talking about them individually changes when all of a sudden, they've got X amount of money that's come from outside that and a, and a group of people that are pretty much instructing them on what needs to happen. And that's what I don't like. I don't like seeing, we'll call him Joe, I won't use a name, but I don't, I don't like seeing Joe or even Sally, the owner, all of a sudden not being true to who they are because all of a sudden money's involved. And I think that impacts the thing we were talking about earlier, which is success. I don't think you're successful if you're all of a sudden being, this is a strong word, a little bit biblical, but hypocritical, you're not being true to yourself. So thanks for sharing that. I I love how you address that in the book. And with our last few minutes here, what I really wanna do is, and I wanna dive right into it, what the heck, made a guy that didn't read a book until he was 40 years old decide i'm gonna write a book now (laughs) i think uh, number
1: one i kept having a lot of people say you ought to write a book and uh, i thought that was encouraging at the same time from a humbleness standpoint and the 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 crowd that i hang around with i'm just me and i've always felt like I've just I've just got up every day and I work hard and, and this stuff just happens because of, of working hard. So I really didn't think I had much of a story to tell, to be real honest with you, Tim. And it took some convincing to write the book. Uh, I've mentioned I'm a big goal setter though. So uh, some of my goals has be, ha, have become to be a great written communicator, uh, which I was very poor, uh, co- even coming out of college. Uh, so I feel I've become a better written communicator and i did start to think man what what a what a good story to even pass along to my kids of this aha moment where i didn't care about psychology at age 40 and the flip happened when i started reading books i've become obsessed with self-awareness uh myself i I like to call myself warped uh and i don't know if that's a compliment or not but i i I love work i'm obsessed with creating new jobs and uh, i just i just love that so a little bit warped from that perspective. I'm invested in multiple different businesses and help other businesses. So, uh, as far as writing the book, it became a goal. And uh, as an avid goal setter, it's hey, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna tell this story where I hated reading, hated writing, uh, and uh, ultimately wrote the book and hit the number one Amazon best selling list. And Forbes picked it up uh, and and uh, endorsed it. So, uh, very humbled that that those things have happened and. The book was not about making money. The book was about sharing a story, as, as hopefully you, you saw there, and uh, hopefully giving everybody a, a sense of uh, you can do anything you want if you dream it. Uh, a lot of A lot of kids, high school kids, college kids have read the book and even posted reviews on Amazon. So I tried to make it not a business book. It's more about it really doesn't matter what you do you can succeed in life and, and you just gotta have a purpose and they gotta gotta set some goals. So ultimately it it was written to help other people and it helps me serve my purpose. And those are the, the best compliments that I get, whether it be a, a written review or in person, which actually just happened a couple of weeks ago randomly. It's just great to have people say, Man, your book really made an impact. And that's the best, that's the best money I can earn right there
0: yeah did you you learn anything about yourself during the writing process i just wrote a novel and it's kind of like boy i learned a lot about myself do you learn anything about sean while you were writing yeah
1: i I, again i think one of the biggest things was the relationship with my dad and Hmm. and the the similarities and and i always was always impressed with my dad and what he did obviously respected that I mean he, he a real noble cause to help people who can't help themselves uh, and I just never thought we were we were very similar in in our in our not not our values but just the overall business uh, drive and 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 those types of things and that was probably the biggest thing is i I learned man it, the the apple didn't fall too far from the tree there when uh, when, when that happened and that that was that was pretty cool. In fact, I think I think the relationship with my dad changed, especially even after he. I'm I'm glad he got the opportunity to read the book before he passed, and we had some good conversations around that and life in general. So, that that was that was good meaning for me.
0: Yeah, that was good. It is interesting that writing is it's even different than speaking. You know, you get up and talk, but I don't know that it takes the reflection that writing does. It sounds like you've worked on written communication. So you did write it all and all those words are yours. I'm sure you had a team of people that kind of helped you with editing and all that kind of stuff. But so you, you, you did all those, all those big words yourself, right? I did most of them. I did have a ghostwriter
1: involved, uh, that I have a great relationship with. In fact, uh, uh, him him and my dad uh, struck up a great relationship because of uh, some of the challenges he had in his childhood. So Uh, but I, he would even tell you that he goes, I've never had anybody edit as much as you did. And I had, I had a lot of it written before I hired him to get it pushed over the edge. So it was, that was, that was a cool interview process, about two hours to four hours a week of just going through an interview process and having a ghostwriter help with that. But, uh, yeah, definitely my words and, uh, a lot of editing and went into that. It was in general probably about a five-year process and the the last year of it was ghostwriter and editing and that type of stuff
0: yeah that's good so uh so what do you want somebody to take away from it somebody reads the book what would you love for them to take away from that
1: again just just set goals and and accomplish anything you you asked a question early on what is success define what success is for them and it's going to change over different parts of your life most likely but Hey, hey su- success is not about money for all people. Uh, it's not always about money, but what, what does it mean for you? And uh, that, that's really the biggest key. I think from the book is uh, define what that is for you, find your purpose and, and, and work toward that each and every day. And, and, uh, I think if everybody has a purpose, uh, again, probably, I think I was living mine out up until I was 40 unknowingly. I was doing things that was driving toward it, but I really didn't have it defined until I was 40 during that aha moment stage.
0: Yeah, and that, that's good. I would definitely agree with that from doing a read of the book over the last few days, that there's the story part that's very inspiring i love reading business stories how people get started how they end up in business and then and then the thing that i liked was that you actually had this was the two pieces that were valuable for me you had a deeper dive into uh, You know the open open business, you know the open business management, and then also the ESOP. There were like two things that were a little bit more detailed and technical in nature that that were there for someone to go into that might want to. So, a lot of value there. So, and, and there there's so many things that you have going on, you alls Businesses are growing. You've got now coaching that you guys do through the uh, through the book title with you know the grit coaching model and things, and so. Anything else before we wrap here, anything else that you just want to share with, we've got leaders, business owners, some people in ministry, anything else you want to share that, uh, that we might've missed?
1: I'll just share a little funny, uh, bringing, bringing life back from age 14. And this is not in the book, but I'm actually a partner in all in one outdoor solutions, have ownership in a hardscape landscape company that also mows grass. So uh, I just had I had to get back to my roots just a little bit, but we we uh, a partner runs that uh, he's president of the company and uh, we've taken that company and scaled it from eight employees to now 96 uh, over about a three and a half year period. And uh, it's pretty cool. And it's just another one of those things that somebody said, you know, somebody said one time is like, you know, I can't create a culture over here. My guys are digging ditches. So somebody somebody just said i can't do it and, and I, i'm just like i'm i'm gonna figure out that hey it doesn't matter what business you're in going back to what we talked about very early on it becomes all about what type of culture do you want to build and that becomes a cliche word today too but uh, if you treat your people correctly if you show them what they're working for that culture can be created, and, and it doesn't matter if you're digging ditches or you're working in a restaurant or or you're sitting behind a computer screen. Uh, the same principles apply if you if you're ultimately focused on other people's success, uh, you you can make it work. But I I think it's pretty cool again to come full full circle in my roots and and be involved in a, in a mowing company. So.
0: Yeah. And I, I, I'm excited that I could be sitting in my RV probably with lawnmower sound in the background while we're having that conversation. I even, I even got up during the middle of this and closed the door of the RV trying to to, anyway. So a lot of fun there. Hey, Sean, what a great conversation. Uh, Where can people connect with you? Where do you want them to send? Where do we need to send people to get the book or to connect with you in, in the ways you want them to meet up with you?
1: Yeah. I think if you go uh, on, on to Google or on Amazon, uh, type in keeping score with grit grit does have two t's g-r-i-t-t we didn't get into that but uh, you'll learn that if you read the book but keeping score with grit or you can go to my website at That's www.shawnbercham.com uh, either one of those places uh, you'll be able to find me.
0: Yeah, and we'll include all of that in the notes. And like I said earlier, make sure you check out the notes because we outline everything that we've uh, we've discussed here. Sean, we are seek, go, create. Those three words make up the title of our podcast and our YouTube channel. Uh, I'm going to give you one of those words. Pick one that resonates the most with you right now more than the other two, and why. And that's my final question.
1: Man, tough tough question. Between go and Go and create is a tough one, but because uh, I because I love to go, I'm I'm all gas uh, usually. Most people know I don't I don't use the brake much, but I'm gonna say create It's what I love to do. I love to create companies, love to create jobs, love to create opportunities. Uh, it's really it, it's it's my passion. So uh, I got to go with create. By the way, uh, congrats on all your success too, Tim, and really appreciate this. Appreciate the uh, the research uh, as much as anything. I do a lot of these podcasts and. Uh, you're obviously uh, very good at what you do, so appreciate the, the well-thought-out interview.
0: Sure. And I appreciate it, Sean. And thank you so much. What a great conversation. We probably missed 10 times what we could have talked about. But here's what I recommend is you need to go get the book, Keeping Score with Grit. And like he said, it's spelled with two T's. And there's a reason for that. It's an acronym. So you need to get the book and go check that out. We didn't even we weren't able to get into that. Go check out the book with Sean. And what I also recommend you do for this episode, there are business owners or people considering business or leaders that need to hear this message. There's some things that Sean discussed that they need to hear. The best way that podcasts grow, the best way that people learn things is for someone to specifically recommend it. So take a screenshot if you're listening on a podcast, if you're on YouTube or one of our socials, just share it with that person and just say, hey, listen, you need to listen to this interview because this is someone that uh, is going through some things you need to know about or they've experienced things that you need to understand. So share this with people. I appreciate that. That's the number one way that people uh, expand and grow podcast. And what a great conversation. I want to remind you, we've got new episodes that drop every Monday. We're on YouTube, all the podcast channels. And until next time, continue being all that you were created to be.